Welcome to our podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock. Join us as these neighbors drop by unannounced for conversations that are fun, relevant, and just downright neighborly. 2020 is burning. They're bringing marshmallows, a desire to talk about it, and their mission to laugh now and again, no matter what. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Chambers and Philip Goffrey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Neighbors Don't Knock, the podcast where neighbors drop by and get real for some fun. Isn't that right, Philip? It is, man. I am super happy that you are here today. We have a very special guest joining us and a very close friend of mine. So this is sort of a, my heart's all a flutter for this one. You mean I am not the special guest? You are always the special guest. This is, <laughs> this is Why do you think I come by? Special guest squared. How about I, that? Special guest squared. How would that mathematically work out? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. You're definitely asking the wrong guy. But I'll tell you what, before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. CNG specializes in small batch voiceover and video production for commercial media, podcasting, radio, and more. Their combined years of experience in acting, podcasting, and sales to offer big market and media products at a small business price. To learn more about CNG Communications, check out our Facebook page at Neighbors Don't Knock or email us directly at admin at neighborsdon'tknock.com. All right, man. Well, I am super, super excited to get into this. You know, like I said, our special guest today is a dear friend of mine I've known since I first moved to Houston, Texas. We're joined by Eric Sandler. He is the food editor for Culture Map Houston. He's also host of the hit podcast for foodies in the know called What's Eric Eating? Lover of all things Houston. Uh, he's a Sugarland native. Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Phil, thanks for having me. This is great. So, okay, I'm, I got to get right into this real quick because I'm curious. Can you explain exactly what a food editor really means? Like, what is that? Right. So I think when most people think about a person who writes about restaurants, the default assumption is food critic who writes reviews. That's not my role in the world. I'm not a critic. I'm not anonymous. I don't write reviews. I mean, I you know, it's, it's really the news of what's happening in the food world. Restaurants that open, restaurants that close, tracking trends, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, just to get a little bit New Englandy, like it's a wicked cool job. Oh, I'm having a blast. Yeah. Who's having more fun than me? You need a sidekick? I mean, <laughs> yeah, everybody, right everybody now. wants, <laughs> yeah. How, that's a question. How often do you get that? Do people walk up to you and be like, hey, you need an apprentice? Or do you take on interns? <laughs> uh, you know, what's funny is we do get occasional interns. They, they like the idea of like going to restaurants and meeting chefs and talking to people. They don't generally like the idea of then turning that into words that are read and criticized by people on the internet or hitting deadlines. So we <laughs> have being responsible in any Anyway, yeah. We, so your interns are millennials, basically. That's yeah, or at this point, even younger, right? I mean, if they're if they're in college, they're too young to be millennials. What What is the next generation? Do we know what this term is? Are you kidding me? I didn't even know what my generation was until we started this podcast. How am I going to know what the next generation is? Fair enough, Eric. Any idea what they're called? I think they're called Gen Z, but don't hold me to that. Gen Z. Okay, I like it. I like it. It the sounds very gen, generation uh, TikTok. 
Generation. Yeah. I, there, that's, I can get, I think we can wrap our heads around that one, Generation Indeed. TikTok. So, so let me ask you this. You get, you get asked by chefs personally to come by their restaurant, or are you kind of sought out by anybody specifically? Yeah, so there's a whole apparatus of public relations people that whose job is to pitch restaurant-related content to every media outlet in town, and that includes Culture Map. And then in addition to that, I have personal relationships with chefs so I'll get an Instagram DM or a text or whatever that's like, hey, we're working on something. Come try it. Or, you know, my, my favorite is, hey, we just signed a lease for a new place. I really want to tell you about it. That, that's sexy talk right there. Yeah, that's exciting. That, 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 that's foreplay. That, that's like, come see what I'm cooking. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be right over is usually the... Uh... <laughs> I like that. So whether it be a friend of yours in the restaurant industry or whether it be um, someone that you strictly have a professional relationship with, if you get that like kind of advanced tip, if you get that, Hey, look, you know, we just signed this lease. Let's have a beer. Let's have a, whatever, a meal, talk about it. You must feel that's an investigative reporter kind of job, right? That's a very much a in the field sort of. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there are, there are very much aspects of my job that are, you know, journalism is the right word for it. It's, it's highfalutin and I don't have a journalism background, but, you know, um, networking with sources, developing leads, searching records, you know, collecting tips. I mean, yeah, all of that is, is part of the job. I, I mean, I'm essentially available on my phone, you know, as long as I'm awake. So if you, if someone has something they want to tell me, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to, blow them off. Cause it's, you know, after eight or whatever, uh, you know, and that's not, and that's not how the restaurant business works. Right. I mean, the, you know, they don't, you know, they're, they're working until late and they're working on the weekends. And so I, you know, I certainly want to be available to talk to people when they're available to talk to me. The stories come from different places, right? So, you know, some of it's press releases and then a follow-up interview to sort of flesh it out. Some of it's, you know, uh, original interviews that then become you know, content. So it, it really just depends. But I mean, I, it was just yesterday. I mean, I had, you know, two phone calls that each took about half an hour and they, one of them became the story, uh, the basis for a story that published today. And one of them will become the basis for a story that's published tomorrow. So that's, that's pretty typical. Okay, I, I want to know something. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig for some dirt. I mean, <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna dig for some dirt over here. What? And you may not be able to answer some of these questions, but I'm gonna throw them out there anyway. Who have you ever had the ability to, or have something that you've written gone in and helped shut a restaurant down? Obviously, it's not your goal. Obviously, your goal is to help the 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 industry flourish but have you ever what's the worst place that you've come into and just like have you ever walked into a place and just like I'm I'm out you know the so generally i will say the the tone for culture map is sort of positive enthusiastic you know and again since i don't write reviews i'm not really going out there with both barrels like looking to shut a place down and and actually i don't i don't even really think that any food writer in this city really has that ability to do that there are, you know, there are sort of well-funded places that are like so off the rails that they deserve 
some sort of criticism. And then there were like the, the, like the scrappy mom and pops that just don't quite have it together. And then it's like, if it's, if it's truly awful, you just kind of walk away from it. Cause it's not, it's like kicking a puppy. It's not, it's not really worth going after. As the food editor for Culture Map Houston, do you have the ability to refuse to report on something happening? Like, can you say, you know, look guys, I don't, like, let's, let, let's say a COVID environment. If, if you knew that someplace was egregiously breaking, ca- yeah, breaking yeah, rules, yeah. Like COVID, could, you, could, you, could you turn to Culture Map and say, I'm sorry, but we're not doing this story? Or is it more they've got agreements and you have to sort of no, balance I mean, it out? I have a lot of latitude in terms of what I do and don't report on. I... I don't think people, you know, the, the Chronicle had a big story. They, they went up and down Washington Avenue and took a bunch of pictures of places that looked like they were over capacity and people standing around not wearing masks and all that stuff. And it, it's not that I don't think that's news. It's just, I don't think that's why people read culture map. So, you know, I'm, it's not that I'm not capable of driving around Washington and taking, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen it too, right? I can, but I, it's just not, I, I just don't think of that as why. People are reading the site every day. I remember when I started writing eight years ago, and this is before I was working for Culture Map. And you know, one of the things I said was, "You have to write something every day," and I was floored by that. It's like there's, and I'd been consuming restaurant news, right? I'd been reading the Chronicle and the Houston Press and Eater and everything else, and I just remember thinking, like, "Wait, there's there's news every day. Like, how the hell am I going to find something to write about?" <laughs> Every day. <laughs> There's news? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it turns out that is not the problem. I know what I'm going to write for tomorrow, and I have a pretty good fix on uh, going into next week even. I have three or four things kind of in the, in the works that'll, that'll get knocked out here over the next few days. So it, it's, it, it, it ebbs and flows a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's never been a problem to find. Like one thing, two things, sometimes three things, very rarely four things that, just like are, are newsy and relevant and have to go. Do you get to decide what kind of goes into what your podcast is? Or is it more or less you are following a guideline of, of the restaurant business? Well, so, I mean, to the extent I am, I am my own executive producer. So I pick the topics that the co-hosts and I discuss in that News of the Week segment. And it, so I'm looking for the things that are sort of the most interesting from the last week, the most relevant. And that, you know, we might either have a disagreement about or, or be able to sort of expand on, you know, sort of beyond the article, offer some opinions about, make some predictions or, you know, so it just, it does depend a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, the, the podcast topics are sort of an edited version of whatever was in culture map the week before. Okay. And when you say disagreements, what would be a disagreement? Because for me, it's kind of hard to disagree on food. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's, I can see difference of opinion, but I'm just like, feed me, please. <laughs> you know? Right. So, you know, you know, we do, we do kind of two things in the show, right? We have the news of the week where we talk about stuff that's sort of happening. And, you know, the, the people that are my co-hosts are either like, you know, financially connected to the restaurant industry in some way. They, they own a restaurant or they've worked in the industry or they're like, they go out, you know, almost as often as I do, or they, they have blogs or they're on social media or whatever they are. So this new restaurant is about to open. How do you think it's going to do? What do you think of its location? What did you, 
you know, what is your sort of assessment of its prospects? This place just closed. Why do you think it closed? Like, what would be a better fit for that neighborhood? You know, and we kind of hash it out. And I admit this is like the kind of the ultimate inside baseball, right? It's a, it's a niche audience, but the people who listen to it really like it because, you know, the, the idea for the podcast was I was having these conversations with people, right? There's, you know, there's like the interview that's on the record. And then there's the half an hour of off the record conversation, either before or after where it's like, what have you heard? What's going on? Who's up? Who's down? All that kind of stuff. And I really wanted a way to capture the spirit of some of that. And that's how the podcast got started. So you have inside track on stuff, predictions that have been correct in the past. Ooh, well, my, my favorite prediction actually comes from before I was started writing. This is where I get to drag Phil for just a moment. You, you, did, you knew this was coming. Uh-oh. You had to know this was coming. So before Phil was the responsible husband father, he was a regular uh, Poison Girl. And I would say you spent conservatively three nights a week at Poison Girl. Oh, that is very conservative. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, oh like, yeah. that's the big Kool-Aid in the backyard. No, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, in fact, when I walked into Poison Girl, that's what the bartenders did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Actually, I'm, you know what they were saying? Oh, no. Yeah. No, I, no. Before I get too far down this rabbit hole with you, um, first of all, uh, mad respect to everybody at Poison Girl because I love that place. I love their staff. I love the owners. I have not been there in a long, long time, even pre-COVID, and, and shame on me for that. But yeah, once upon a time in my life, I spent probably seven nights a week rather than three nights a week. Well, I wasn't going to I wasn't gonna. It's okay. You tar go, you with that, but yeah. You can go ahead. It's okay. Probably seven nights a week at this bar here in Houston, <laughs> Texas called Poison Girl. Anyway, uh, please continue uh, lighting me on fire. Go ahead. Right. right. So, this is, so it, was, it was 2009, and Envo was getting ready to open, and, you know, I... Again, I wasn't writing, but I was kind of engaged in the food scene. I had gone to Beavers. I'd had some of Bobby Hugel's drinks. I was reading his blog and following him on Twitter. And they had done a couple of pop-ups that I had gone to, one of which was at Poison Girl. And so Anvil was about to open, and Phil and I were talking about it. And Phil goes, you know, no one wants to stand around five minutes waiting for them to make some fancy cocktail. Like, that place is going to be gone in six months. And I went, I don't know, man. Like, I just have a feeling about that place. I think those guys know what they're doing. I think it's going to be a hit. Okay. So hang on. I remember this conversation. Um, I think I said 15 minutes, but, but, <laughs> but, but yes, I, I will uh, fully take my lumps and admit that, man, did I completely misunderstand the craft cocktail um, revolution that was happening throughout the country and throughout the world. I mean, I was horribly uneducated, right? Like my version of a craft cocktail was getting the third shot of vodka, my tall vodka soda instead of the second. I was like, that's, that's pretty crafty. Thanks guys. Jaeger and Red Bull, you know, not, not too far from it at that point in my life. Um, I mean, I was drinking, I was drinking Jack and Cokes, right? That's what my father drank. So that's what I, indeed I remember that you were the Jack and Coke guy. Yeah. Yeah. I I would argue, speaking of calling each other out, I would argue that your tolerance now is about three times what, what, uh, compared to what it was then. I think, I think that you were, um, Two Jack and Cokes, maybe three. You were done back yeah, in the well, day. Yeah, well, I'm a professional, Phil, so I've, you know, I've trained. <laughs> Indeed. I'm glad that you stepped into the role. Yeah, um, yeah you, have, you have to really bring it to the plate when you, when you do this. Well, stuff. he trains all the time. I tried to train him. You're trying to train me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am having a feeling that's why we started this podcast. There was, a, there was a night at Poison Girl 
when I'd had a shitty day at work and I'd skipped lunch and there were like three Manhattans and that night ended really poorly for me. I remember. I think I was there for that night. You probably, yeah, I'm sure you yeah, were contributing I think, to I it. think you came and met me. Yeah. Yes. Um, so your, your resume basically has, you're a restaurant bookie uh, in, a, in a sense, making predictions. You could actually make a side that's a new segment for you right there. I just wrote it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Instead of what's Eric's eating, like, like what are Eric's odds? Yeah, that's right, right? I mean, you oh, get... Eric's over under. That would be a great title for it. We could do a betting site. It yeah, has to it... Be, you have to be in New Jersey to do it. But... <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Because everywhere else is going to take four fucking hours. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we would fly in private jets to go place odds on Eric's over under. <laughs> And anyone in New Jersey that's listening, we love you. Well, of course we do. You allow gambling. <laughs> We're in. You, you bring up an interesting point, though, Brian, because... To, to, okay, so to, <laughs> to Brian and to our listeners, a little background. Eric and I met in a local car club. We were both Volkswagen guys, both gearheads. And uh, there was this online... Um, a series of online uh, forums, I guess, where, where local people would talk about, about cars. And our cars happen to be Volkswagens. We're, we're huge Volkswagen guys. So we met uh, with this mutual love for Volkswagens, and we were tinkering and tuning with the cars, things like that. But really, it was an excuse for a bunch of younger people to get together and hang out, right? This is, it, it's in the middle of the social media revolution, but it, it, it is not the same world that it is today, right? Where we actually still made it a point to get big, big get-togethers going. And, and what it evolved to was weekly, we would get together with a group of people uh, at a bar because, you know, <laughs> I was involved. So It wasn't just you. I, you know, we were... Thank you. I appreciate that. There, I mean, real, I mean, it's a funny thing. It, it sounds kind of lame, but yeah, I mean, there was a solid like 10 of us every Thursday that got together it really was. Religiously. We, we used to bastardize the old bowling joke, right? We would say our drinking club has a car problem, right? Instead of our, yeah, you know. Well, get-togethers, you had to still get together with dial-up. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's no you. Wi-Fi. There's only so long you can be on the internet at that point. Way to you. make fun of the old guys in the room chambers. Well I had, done. I, I use dial-up. Not as long as you, but I use dial-up. Yeah, not rotary. You mean actual dial-up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but, but Eric, when you and I met, you were working for a law firm. I, I was working for a private company that provided support services to law firms. Okay. Okay. That was it. Of like filing that sounds, systems, basically. That sounds shady. Right? No. The way, the way you say that. The way I was, no, not a law firm. It wasn't quite, I was, I was it wasn't as prestigious. It, it was neither, it was neither as prestigious nor as lucrative as working for a law firm would have been. Got it. Okay. It's always, it's always the beckon guys that get it done though. You know what I'm saying? Are you from New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> No, okay, so 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 the resume bullets, right? You go from the the company supporting the law firms to Eater, right? And then right. Eater to Culture Map, and you've been Culture Map since for yeah, over seven years now. Over seven years, I didn't start writing until I was like thirty, thirty four, right? And I discovered, you know, I read people like me, right? I I was reading Rob Walsh and Allison cook and Pat Sharp and Texas monthly and, and all of that stuff. But it never occurred to me that I would get to do what they did. You know, it just never, it never seemed feasible. And now I do. And yeah, now I work my ass off. You know, I, I, I joke sometimes that I feel like I make it look 
too easy for people because, you know, after I started my podcast, there was like two barbecue podcasts that started and there's, you know, there's a couple other kind of foodie podcasts that have popped up in the, in the three and a half years or whatever. But it, it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. It's like, oh, well, if Eric can do it, I can do it. It's like, uh, clearly I'm making the shit look too easy. Well, I, I think of you now as a writer hearing you say that you're, you're not, it's, it's not, you're not a, a food editor. You're, you're a writer. I hope so. You're a writer. Yeah. I mean, you truly are. Okay. And as a writer, what was one of the earliest things that really made you feel like you, you were putting something out there with, with love or that you were proud of? Was there, was there a moment that you, or something that you wrote that you remember that you, cause a lot of great writers tend to remember some of those first really great moments that you put out there or, or you just felt the freedom that you were able to express yourself. Eater used to do this thing they called flooding the zone. And, and there's other outlets that do it. They didn't invent it or whatever. But the idea is that like for a restaurant opening that was like a big deal, they would try to find something to say about it every day for like two or three weeks. Like even if it was something short and you know, the pass and provisions opened in September ish of 2012. And so that was like the first really big opening because I, I joined a publication after Underbelly and Oxheart had opened. So it was kind of, so I had the summer. And so I started banging P&P content and then Eater National kind of picked up on some of it because those guys had worked for Mark Samuelson and Gordon Ramsay. And so they, they had kind of a, a New York background. And then they got an award from Eater National that was kind of based on just like me banging the drum for them for a month. And that was when it started to feel like, like if at least the people that I'm, that I work for, like, and my colleagues, like, think I'm doing a, must think I'm doing a pretty good job. And, you know, and then the audience started to follow. So that, you know, and well, that was the other thing is you can, you can see the numbers, right? And, And when you start to see the numbers go up, it's like, oh, this is working. Do you ever picture your readers like as you're writing? Well, you, you know, know like, like I, you, you got the you, you got the groupie in the front row, like flashing. You're like, oh, she's, <laughs> she's going to like this line. You know, <laughs> you know, what's so funny is I, when I started, I thought of I started I thought of the audience as the people that I the, like the foodies I knew on Twitter. Right. And I was kind of thinking about them as the audience. And what I came to realize really quickly is like how like what a small sliver that is and how much bigger the audience is and that it really covers a lot of different demographics. So I, I don't really think of any like one person or one group of readers specifically. I've learned that kind of, if I'm excited about something, then the odds are that there's going to be a a decent sized group of other people that are, that are going to be into it too. Yeah. You know, I I appreciate that because for me, I'm not a foodie by any stretch of the imagination, but I love good food. I love having a good meal and I will seek a good meal out on people's recommendations. No questions asked. I'll drive a half hour to go to a, a phenomenal restaurant, wh- whatever it might be, right? Whether it be a new Asian place or whether it be, you know, a new Italian place, which in Houston is pretty rare. Um, I, I will seek those things out, but, but I don't keep an ear to the ground enough in that world to know when it's happening. So I've been using your podcasts and your writings as my complete basis of, of, you know, exploring our local food scene. 
Well, well yeah, now, and that's now, what now it's there exactly. For. You know who the groupie in the front row is that's flashing you. <laughs> I actually do. It's I Phillip. flash him I'm, I'm, <laughs> right there. It's, it's and questions all the questions answered. Well, it's awkward too. You know, thank goodness for adaptive cruise control because I frequently listen to his podcast in the car. So I, I got to unbutton, flash the shirt up, <laughs> the seatbelts in the way. It's really, it's really weird. <laughs> Officer pulls you over. Why are your windows all steamed? Up? <laughs> like, well, it's, it's what's Eric eating? He's like, oh. Oh gosh! I'm sorry. Twenty second. I'm gonna have to ask you to step out of the vehicle right now, please. <laughs> he has tunes in. He's like, "Hey Siri, start the podcast." <laughs> you frequent a lot of a lot of uh, police officers in your car for podcasting. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. But when Eric and I first met. <laughs> It wasn't all that uncommon for me to have a conversation <laughs> with a police officer I didn't want to have. Take take <laughs> him over to Poison Girl. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know you joke Phil, about Phil's back. <laughs> you joke about the oh yeah thing. Have you have you been to Poison Girl? Have you oh, seen the Oh, I've been there many times. Okay, so you oh, know the Kool-Aid man. Oh, I know the Kool-Aid man. That. That's why I brought that up. Oh, I've been there many times. You know Kool-Aid what? man has a mask on now. I saw a picture of the Kool-Aid man. Does he man. really? I, I have absolutely no doubt. Ah, look at, look no at doubt. them adapting with the times. I love to see that. Actually, I'm really happy to see that Poison Girl is still kicking. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of places that, that come up and shut down so quickly. There's a lot, it's like an age of a pop-up bar, and then it just dies really fast. And So it's really nice to see that that's, that's going on. I mean, one of my favorite places, uh, La Carafe downtown, I love that place, just the aesthetics of it, and just the fact that it's just kind of a little staple of a of a place in Houston. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I hope that more of them survive, you know, as we go forward. And, and who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we, we don't even know. And speaking of, I, I bring that point up because if you having the inside track, and, and, you know, I have a bookie online that I'm placing bets on all of this, you know, is there a restaurant or a place that you have heard of that is possibly trying to make its way into Houston or something that you might be able to tell us of, of that an up and coming that we might get an inkling of? I, you know, I haven't heard about kind of, you know, for a long time it was Shake Shack and then Shake Shack's here. And then for a really long time it was In-N-Out and now In-N-Out is here. You know, I... I mean, I have things that I am rooting for that I would love to see here. All right. Well, okay. So, what are you rooting for then? Because personally, In and Out, not my jam. <laughs> not not my jam. I'm sorry. I, and I was born in California. I'm sorry. I, I want, it's not I, my jam. I want Eric's number one. What is your number one brand that you would like to see make its way into into our? Are, are we talking words? brand or just general well, well, restaurant? Because we could go, but we can either go way, rest, restaurant, restaurant. Restaurant. Okay. All right. All right. Well, no. I'll so I'll give you so. The number one restaurant that I most want to see in Houston is called Din Tai Fung. If you saw the first season of David Chang's Netflix series, Ugly Delicious, there's an episode devoted to dumplings, and he gets into a back and forth with Mario Carbone, the chef from New York, about you know Italian ravioli and, and tortellini versus Chinese-style dumplings. Anyway, they go to one of the locations of Din Tai Fung, and they, they show them you know, delicately pinching the, the dumplings by hand. They make soup dumplings. It's a dim sum restaurant and they're kind of all up and down the West coast and it hasn't come here and it would crush. And I just like everyone who goes to the West coast, it's like they, all they do is just take pictures of themselves at Din Tai Fung and send them to me to taunt me with how good the dumplings are. And I just, you know, if that would come here, that would make my life better. So that's your number one. That's my number one. That's, I mean, I mean there's speaking. a huge Asian population here in Houston. Well, and, and we're getting, we're supposed to be getting, you know, COVID's made everything kind of weird, but we're supposed to be getting something called Tim Ho Wan, 
which is also a very acclaimed dim sum restaurant. And that's coming to Katie, hopefully still fingers crossed. Uh, and, and that will be cool, but not as cool as if Din Tai Fung came here. So, you know, my wife lived in China for a while and she was a Mandarin Russian interpreter before she moved to the U S one of her biggest complaints has long been that even in Chinatown, it's very, very difficult to find kind of master class restaurants for that kind of food. Right. It's very easy to find. It's the hole, in the, because there are hole in the walls. You, if you don't know where you're going. Well, no, well, no, no but it, even the hole in the walls, there's sort of B plus dim sum. Yeah, exactly. But there's not like A plus dim sum. And we, we kind of got a feel for it with Yawacha, but that was so high end and upscale and the gallery is kind of a pain. It just, it didn't catch on kind of like, I thought well, that it was food way was, too expensive. Maybe it was, didn't, it was very expensive. Authentic, maybe not. Maybe. I mean, it was super, like it was super delicious, but when the Peking duck is like a hundred dollars, it's just like, yeah, you're out. Yeah. Right. It's a tough yeah, sell. I'm, I'm, right. I understand. Then you get offended. I mean, you get to the point where you're going, this is the kind of thing that if you're in the West coast goes for like 25 bucks, like what are you doing? Well, or even in Chinatown, right? It's like, why am I, even if it's, even if it's better, is it four times better? Right. Like, probably not. So, yeah, that was... Right. But, but, but what I was trying to make the point of earlier was, you know, it's like if you, if you grew up in New England where I grew up, right, there's Italian everywhere. You know, the greasy spoon, American Italian red sauce, like, just, you know, hey, you know, it's your Italian place, right? They're everywhere. Not all of them are good. Not half of them are good, right? That's a complete fallacy. But a lot of them are wonderful, right? A lot of the local delis are wonderful for sandwich places, but the masterclass stuff, it's still, it's like any place else, right? You've got the one, two, a handful of restaurants in any given region that are going to be the diamonds in the rough. And we really just don't seem to have that here for what I've been able to find for like classic Chinese food, right? We have, we have tons and tons of really good Vietnamese. Um, obviously, there's been a Sichuan explosion in Houston for the past what, eight years. But, but the really, really good, those delicate dumplings right that aren't going to gouge you on price they're hard to find so i'm curious to your point about things popping up in Cadia. i'm noticing a lot of these asian restaurants are popping up kind of northwest in houston what's going on with that like why is that the the target area obviously there's a a, a population out that lives out there that's receptive to it and there's just been a, a sort of wave of development and it's all doing really well and then you know the other thing is there's so much density in chinatown it's like you know there's that one there's that one shopping center. It's just east of the Beltway. It's called Dunhuang Plaza, right on Beller Boulevard. And you know, yeah, if, right if, between Ranchester and exactly, all that. Yes, right. I know exactly. And so, if if one thing opens in Dunhuang Plaza that does well, there'll be three more because there's no like, I don't I don't understand exactly how the ownership works, but there's apparently no lease restrictions, right, to inhibit you know similar concepts from opening in the same shopping center, right? Usually, there's lockout clauses and that kind of stuff that, that prevent that. But as, as someone once described it to me, it's a very pure form of capitalism. Well, it's very much like it would be in China, minus the, the Chinese mafia aspect, well, right? Well, yeah. going to high school, literally in Chinatown, my off-campus lunch as a senior were fantastic. Oh, yeah, and for <laughs> like, five bucks. Yeah, exactly. It was like the best place to eat. In fact, one of my favorite burger places in Houston is actually run by a, a Thai couple who actually have a couple of Thai restaurants, uh, Texas, I'll shout them out, Texas Hamburger Palace, right off of Ranchester, one of my favorite burger places. And they actually have a couple of Thai places around, and I have yet to try the actual Thai places. Only had their I've burgers. Only had the burgers. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I've only had the burgers. But I love it. But I, I think that's fantastic. I love that as well. Um, I'm going to throw one out here. This is outside of, of Houston, 
but I, I was a big fan of Richard Blaze as a chef just because of how innovative he was. And before he got super popular, you know, TV host and all of that, um, and I actually tried Flip Burger uh, when I was in Atlanta because he's from Atlanta. My wife has family out there, so we were there. And that would be one place that I would find. Is there a good, I mean, like I say, I go to Texas Hamburger Palace, but that's that's like out in Chinatown. Is there a burger place that you love in Houston? I mean, there are so many burger places I love in Houston. And, you know, sadly, Bernie's Burger Bus was one of my favorites, and that closed, you know, the economic disruption from the pandemic. That was one of the first places, really prominent places to go under. Uh, I've been a big advocate for Burger Chan, which was in Greenway Plaza. They're relocating. Uh, this is this is not a coincidence. They're relocating to an office building in the Galleria that's also where Culture Map is. That's that's not a coincidence. I like how you say it's not a coincidence. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Hang. Hold on. Let me call my bookie. <laughs> hang yeah. I don't. A thousand dollars on that. Right. I mean, I think the Burger Joint does a pretty good job. There are restaurants with really great hamburgers. Right, like Hay Merchant makes like a double patty cheeseburger that's really tasty. I, I found that um, the BB Lemons actually does a really good job personally. Yeah, that to yeah, me, absolutely. That, I, I actually really love them. I, I haven't we during, I mean, okay, and this brings me to another point. You know, we tried BB Lemons, and they have, of course, they have their their big steakhouse across the street as well. We didn't try that until Restaurant Week, and. This year with Restaurant Week, we didn't get out as much, but that also brings me kind of to a point. Has Restaurant Week kind of diluted a little bit? Is it saturated? There's so much because I've seen a lot more chains. It used to be it was a premier type of thing of restaurants to get people to be able to experience some of these restaurants, and now it just feels very diluted. Well, let, let's say Restaurant Weeks is an event in transition, right? The founder of Houston Restaurant Weeks, a woman named Cleverly Stone, she passed away, not COVID-related, she had cancer, but she, she passed away earlier this year, and her daughter, Katie, is now running Houston Restaurant Week. So I think this was, and, and then all of the challenges of the pandemic, I think the, the idea was, let's just get as many people in as we possibly can, because every restaurant in town needs the support. And so, uh, yeah, I, it was a different it was a different mix of restaurants this year than it usually is. I, I certainly agree with you. I, I will be really curious to see what happens in 2021, right? If, if things are, are more like they were in 2019 and the, the roster's a little, a little more focused on, you know, independent places or locals or whatever. Uh, yeah, there was, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, no disrespect to, to Katie and, and cause she really worked her tush off to, to make that thing happen. But Saltgrass Steakhouse does not need to be in Houston. No, they, they don't. There's nothing that Fertitta's, Landry's restaurants don't need to be on there. Well, but Vic and Anthony's is super popular, right? Like the, the Landry's Select or whatever they... they that, that's a little different, but, yeah. I, but I mean, I'm talking the... Yeah, Joe's Crab Shack and exactly. Saltgrass Steakhouse. No, they they do not need to be in Houston Restaurant Weeks. I agree with you. So I, anyway, I I just, I, I hate to see that because, uh, you know, the, the restaurant, those are restaurants, in, in my opinion, that are doing or will survive, doing well enough, and I don't think they need that. That, that lights on them. Well, you, you bring up 2021. I got a professional question. Of all the restaurants that were that were slated, of all the brands that were slated even to come into Houston for 2021 that, that were on your radar, right, that you've been reporting on, what percentage of those off the top of your head have decided not to do it? Yeah, I, I don't really know. 
you know, it's it's really hard to tell. It's very right? vague, the, right? Yeah. The stuff that's been opening in the fall was the stuff that was supposed to open kind of in the spring summer. It all got pushed back, but they they had too much momentum not to go forward, right? So that's Blue Dorn and Ostia and Sin Chow and Killins and and places like that. The you know they had that you know they had no choice. I I have less of a feel, right? The and and there's stuff on my radar that I kind of expect to open in the next, you know, now until January or so. Sure, I've been listening to a couple of episodes of your podcast. Where you're bringing things like that up, and it's interesting, right? A lot of a lot of restaurants are coming, you know, winter this year or by the end of this year, or whatever. Right. And it's very I, ambitious. I have less of a sense of kind of what's coming next spring, next summer, than we usually would by now for that time frame. It that that is more opaque to me because you you you're so in tune with what goes into these massive projects of of trying to create a restaurant because god knows i mean it's it's such an unbelievably difficult industry on every level I get tired of looking at the menu sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, I'm like, uh, yeah. I'll eat that, that, that. Oh, wait, I can't afford all that. Um, Just it's, give me that. It's just exhausting being a patron. <laughs> um, you know, do, do you think there's an element with the pandemic that the landlords are as desperate as the restaurateurs are? So it's kind of they're keeping each other in in the in the hopes yeah right? yeah the it's process. like I guess it's you, like you have a beat on on what's going on with those right i mean well it, it's sort of the opposite of whatever the opposite of mutually assured destruction is right they there's it's a symbiotic relationship you know these these i mean but these landlords have expenses too right they're leveraged they have no lenders doubt. that they're accounted for they need to pay taxes all that stuff but who's going to use the space that's, that's right very... right if they if they kick somebody out then you know who's going to take that space or how long is it going to sit empty? Somebody walks in with the capital to just set up shop for them. Right. Like it'll be really interesting to see, for example, what happens with the Masraf space at the corner of Post Oak and San Felipe, which is, you know, that, that stretch is home to some of the most successful restaurants in the city. It's a super prime location because so much tourist and business travel, you know, winds up near the Galleria. But the capital to just to walk in there and right. So, so as far as I know, you know that space is still available, and usually it would be like some big national steakhousey kind of juggernaut, you know, is going to take that thing. And and so far as I know, no one has no one has leased it now. I you know I this this podcast could come out and I'll I'll get a text message being like, oh, you hadn't heard that so and so is coming here. It's like, oh well. That, Thank, thank you. I could have used that information a couple of days ago, but uh, well, and we again, thought you were in the know, Eric. <laughs> as your new best friend, you can uh, let me know, and uh, I will sample that with you. No, okay. We've been talking a lot about food because I, I obviously it it rings passion to to you, your job, and everything else. Um, and, and it has a small, I feel, beat of Houston. I think the food scene has. A, I think it gives Houston a little bit of that, um, but. When you think of food, what is the dish that makes you like think of home? Like, what is the bite that you get that makes you think of home? Yeah, so I, I get that. So usually people ask that as like, what do you, what do you want your last meal to be, or what would you eat on? Oh your no, death not the row? last meal. I, I'm kind of with the comedian Daniel Tosh. I want a burrito. I want, I want someone cleaning some shit up as my last meal. You know? <laughs> I, I want to know who you killed. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, we'll see how this goes. 
no, I, I mean, the, the, you know, the answer, right. The, the sort of the ratatouille dish is like the, uh, you know, my mother's brisket, right. The, the, the dish that she makes for Jewish holidays, the, the Jewish style braised brisket that just sits in the oven for hours and then just falls apart at the touch of a fork. That's the. Dan, do you get a lot of, you, you're, you said you're the, the oldest of three, yeah. but do you have a lot of extended family? Not in Texas. So, you know, that's all they, my parents moved here from the East coast. So that the extended family for the most part is still, do they travel to Texas a lot or do you get to go over East coast to see them? Well, growing up, we did both. So, but you know, now it's, you know, we're all older. It's a little harder to get together. So yeah, there's, there's some traveling. I think that's uh, well, cause my, my, my dad's family is from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and we don't get to, to see them as, as much. And uh, we're not a Jewish family, but we're a large Catholic family and get togethers just become all about let, let's throw out a lot of food and let's be as loud as possible. And you know, we're going to drink. So I, I imagine you can relate a little bit to that. To that a little guy. bit. Yeah. So yeah. Phillip's looking, <laughs> I just love your look. You're just like, yeah, that's well, what happened. Like, at l- home. Lord, Lord knows I can relate to that, but I find it so amusing that there's something about new England where you ask, like, do they come here? Do you go there? My immediate family comes to Houston now and again. But for the most part, I just kind of expected that we're going to go there, right? right. Isn't that like, absolutely? Isn't that yeah. right? They don't. It's is it a northeastern thing? Because I mean, I don't have family in New England, but everyone up in New York, or they don't come down. I think it is. I think it is a New England thing. It's it's weird, right? There's like, what? Well, why wouldn't you want to come here? My brother got married, and my my dad had to fly people down because they weren't going to come down. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll get your plane ticket. Yeah, I get on my you know? new. I, I, <laughs> like, what, you're not gonna come if, if I don't get your your flight. Yeah, F- family aside, I get, I get on my New England friends all the time, and some of them hopefully will listen to this podcast. So I'm calling you guys out. You better be paying attention, right? Flights are like what sixty bucks right now. Like, go anywhere in the country. Like, I, come I'll on down what, to Texas. We're for open. For those buddy. that are listening, for those that are listening up in New England, if if we if anyone comes down here to visit, I will make a trip with you up to New England. Ooh. If we, if anyone comes down here, Eric, you're invited as well. Oh, fantastic. So I think that would just be a great. And you know what? We'll, we'll put it on you. We'll make a little, we'll make a little road trip out of it. Okay. So our, our <laughs> listeners like, is that a promise or a threat? I'm not it's really a little sure. of both. Yeah. It is a little bit of both. Yeah, it's like a charity matching deal. You know, you come down, I'll match your I'll, trip. I will match your, I, I'll match, I'll match that trip. I'm, I'm going to throw it out there right now. Yeah, so it's you a, guys it's heard a this. very pleasant, well, the way I do it, it's three days up to New England, but I think the way Phil does it, it's like 24 hours of white-knuckled Red Bull fueled. Yeah, he, he doesn't like to stop. He, he likes to go straight through. He's like, we're going dr- like, to wake up at 2 a.m., we're going to dump about three cups of coffee in ourselves, and then we're going to drive for about 18 hours straight. Yeah, by the time I get to Chattanooga, I have to get out of the car. I just hate it. Hate everything. Okay, oh, I'm, I'm riding with Touché. you. I'm, I'm gonna let Philip ride, and we're gonna ride with Eric. But the nice thing is, if you if you can make it all the way to Chattanooga, then at least you've crossed into the time zone, so you don't lose an hour like first thing the next morning. It's true. It's but that's true. A, that's a gorgeous area to stop as well, though. Well, the way that I used to do the way I, I used to do Houston to the Northeast was I would do an overnight in Knoxville. That was my goal. Oh, Knoxville's here, great right? too. Actually, yeah, Knoxville's it's about, great too. It's about um. 14-ish hours, so I would do 14 hours the first day, 12 hours the second day, and um, I'm, I'm not going to lie, a significant 
portion of my motivation for that was the college in Knoxville because all the little restaurants that you'd stop at by the hotels were all staffed by college-aged ladies <laughs> and singing Rocky Top. I was a young man, you know. <laughs> I, what, what, what can I say? It, it was so the you were way to singing do it. Rocky Top. It was the way to do it. <laughs> well, Eric, man, I, I really appreciate you you coming by and spending time with us. I mean, this is uh, fantastic. Thank you for you know sharing a lot with us. Yeah, this was fun. You know. Yeah, we are honored, sir. And honestly, um, for any of our listeners that haven't had a chance to read Eric's work on Culture Map, his writings, his uh, his restaurant happenings, or to check out the podcast, What's Eric Eating?, which I'm quite confident can be found on almost every podcasting yeah, service. Yeah, we're on Google and Apple and Spotify at the very least. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. It's, um, it's educational, and if you are local to the Houston area, it, it'll open your eyes to how much is going on, pandemic aside, in, in the world of food around here. It's, it's very cool. And uh, just looking at every one of our glasses, we are getting low, which only means one thing. Refills. That's right. It's time. You guys, unfortunately, can't join us until next week. That's right. We are going to be here next week. You can catch us every Friday. You can go check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, everything. We're out there. Or go to NeighborsDon'tKnock.com. You can get some great swag. The link is on there. We'll see you next week. Eric, thank you so much. Thank you. Phil? Peace. Out.